Now, now though, I'm, I'm really in suspense. And the team will be back on Wednesday night, so we're excited about that. Okay, I'm going to pray, and we'll just get started. Sorry, too many devices here. All right, Father, I just thank you so much for the example of your son. And Lord, I want to I want to just speak a verse, Lord. And I just thank you that I can follow his example. And this is John 12:49 in the amplified. I do not speak on my own authority or on my own accord or as self-appointed. But the Father has given me orders concerning what to say and what to tell. So whatever I speak, I am saying exactly what my Father has told me to say and in accordance with his instructions. And I just thank you, Lord, that I thank you for the example of Jesus. What a perfect, beautiful, amazing example of his life, God, that we are able to follow. And Lord, we commit to you this time. We ask that you will open up spirits and open up minds for us really to get what you, you are saying this morning. And we just love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of my favorite things to do is to talk about process and growth that the Lord takes us through. And sometimes things of the spirit can be very vague. Uh, sometimes process is very vague and abstract. And sometimes when someone can come along and put words to a process that the Lord is taking you through, it just helps a lot. And I've had that happen several times in my life, especially at very key moments. And so it just, it helps us assimilate in our minds what the Lord is doing and helps us to uh, just learn better. And that's what I want to do today. So a few weeks ago, I woke up, as, as I'm sure many of us do in here, and we, uh, I woke up with this, just this heaviness, this feeling of situa- so many situations in life just not being right. And between, I know in our family, we have long health battles, so there's that. There's also, you know, personal things we go through, job situations, heavy things, And it seems like, and of course, you know, we can look around in our nation, see so many things, and it seems like every day the the speed of evil that we are, you know, going full speed ahead in an evil direction, and it just weighs on us. And we wake up, and this agitates our spirit because we are connected with the Lord's spirit, and we, we just long for things to be made right. And we, we, this is by design. The Lord, we're not supposed to be okay with everything that's going on right now. And the closer with God we are, the more irritated we are with the grief and with the injustice and with the culture that is standing for uh, death instead of life and enslavement instead of freedom and lawlessness instead of order and probably a hundred other things. So as I was thinking about this, I I felt the Lord give me like a caution, and I I felt him ask me to make a declaration towards him that 
um, that I would be solid in my faith in a very specific way, and it was this, that I am sure that the resolutions from him that are coming for these things is what I want. Because when they begin, they will not stop. And the promises from him and those things beginning to be fulfilled won't stop and things will not ever be the same from here on out. And on face value, we're like, yes, do it, Lord. You know, like we're ready. Um, But in, in my personal discussion with him, it was more like, okay, I don't, you know, it was like the Lord was saying, I don't know if you really understand what I'm saying, but I just want you to understand because there are like as as very difficult as many things in my life are, there are some things I do actually like about my life. I have pretty quiet days. I'm not super, super busy person. I, I enjoy that about my life. And, and I found myself just declaring privately to the Lord because he was asking me to, this solid declaration of, yes, Lord, to live in what you have promised and to see your will go forth, I will gladly trade some things in for that. And I will never wish to go back to Egypt. And it was this realization that that the force of our longing for his will on earth, but not yet seeing vindication of of that come to pass, has to be so strong that we'll never be tempted to look back. And the temptation to look back happens when we aren't fully committed in our own choice. Okay, that's what happened to Lot's wife. Didn't end well for her. And this is part of our preparation. He can't have us being able to be Lord backwards. It has to be only forwards forever. And the force of our decision of that has to be in place because he can't do what he needs to do with us if we're going to be tempted to to look backwards or want to go back to Egypt because enslavement just seems easier. So the Lord will allow circumstances in our life, in our preparation, that cause us to disdain so much where we are so that our spirits are so dissatisfied that we can't stay and it irritates us so much in a good way, in a holy way, that the force of our dissatisfaction is so strong we're propelled forward by the force of our choice. Okay? This kind of thing, the Lord also causes this kind of thing to happen when we are, um, when he needs us to make a major transition in life. God will begin to get our attention and he'll begin to uh, allow or, or cause us to become very uncomfortable where we are. And he'll allow circumstances, and it can be anything. It can be intensity of warfare. It can be false accusation. It can be suddenly our, our provision gets diminished. Um, it can be this feeling of uh, there's just really nothing left for me here in this place or what worked before is now not working. And, and so we become frustrated or we become dissatisfied and then we make a choice. We don't always know exactly at that point where we are going to go, but we just know I can't stay here. And because if the Lord just told us to do something big, like, like I want you to quit your job or I want you to move across the country or I want you to take your kids out of the school where they are, and do something else, or these, these decisions that we feel like are big decisions, if he, if he just told us to do them, we can respond in obedience, but the force of our will might not really be behind it. Okay, he needs the decision to be ours 
so that, um, you know, because he could tell us what to do and we do it, and we could respond with obedience, but that would be more of a master-slave relationship, and that's not the kind of relationship he wants with us. He wants he wants a, a close, I'm going to deal with you closely relationship. It's not he makes a command and we do it. It's, it's no, he says, I'm going to open your eyes and I'm going to let some things get real uncomfortable for you so you'll move on. But, and that's so that your choice has understanding to it. Okay, your choice has like a forward motion to it. He doesn't drag people. Did you ever try to drag someone or convince someone into a good decision that you know is a good decision for them, but they're just not quite ready to make it, so their heart is not really in it? And there's no staying power in that kind of decision. So on the flip side, though, when someone does make a decision with the force of their will behind it, and they're literally running you know, towards the new thing because they want to get as far away from the other thing, the previous thing, you, you don't really have to prod them, right? They, they have decided and they're moving. And an example would, of that would be the prodigal son, right? Things, you know, he, he gets all of his father's inheritance ahead of time. Things are really great for a while, but then when desperation and hunger really hit, you know, suddenly it's like this realization happens and this choice happens and it's, well, I mean... Even the servants that work for my father have enough to eat. And so then there was this humbling and this decision and this choice. And it, it takes guts to make a, a decision like that. But, and that kind of choice can only come from within a person, right? And, and we're wired a certain way with free will. And I'm sure you guys are the same way. But see, if, like if someone tries to tell me uh, to make a decision, even if it's a good idea... But I'm not ready to. There's no force of the will and the choice behind it. But when I decide I'm ready, I'm sure about it, right? It's like I'm out of here. Let's go. Good riddance. And we can move forward in the new thing. And, and this is what the Lord is looking for and building. It's the force behind the decision of, yes, I will move forward and I'm never looking back. Okay? And the Lord started giving me these examples in the Bible. And we'll just look through some of them. The first one was, and this is found, I'm, I'm not going to read the story, but I'll kind of summarize. This is in 1 Kings 19, when Elijah goes to call Elisha into like a, a prophetic calling, okay? Elisha is, he was literally plowing in a field. And I mean, this seems a little bit weird to us, but Elijah just goes there. He throws his cloak over Elisha, and he walks away. And somehow this meant something to Elisha, or, or the Lord had prepared him ahead of time, which I'm inclined to think. But either way, Elisha jumps off the oxen, and he runs after Elijah, and he says, okay, I will go with you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And, and Elijah says this interesting thing. He says, and this is uh, 1 Kings 19, 19. He says something like, sure, you can do that, but do that thinking about what I have offered you, okay? He was saying, that's fine, but make sure this is what you want. That force of the choice had to be there, and, and also you have no time to think about it, 
you got to decide now. And, and Elisha does. I mean, to his credit, he kills his oxen. It says he cooks them up. He gives meat to everyone in the town. And then he goes with Elijah. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, that's amazing. This same kind of abrupt sort of thing happened, we know, when Peter and James and John were called by Jesus, right? This amazing miracle, this overflow of fish and this realization that they had of something really otherworldly has just happened here. And Jesus says, follow me, and they just leave it all behind and go, right? And there's other verses, and especially um, Luke in Luke 9, there's a group of verses in Luke 9:57, and it gives us this glimpse of what it must have been like for Jesus. I think everywhere Jesus went, left and right, people were saying, you know, oh, well, I want to follow you too. Or either that or Jesus was saying, come and follow me. And there's this verse there where a man comes up to Jesus and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus basically says to him, okay, be sure, of what you're, be sure of what you're saying because there's a real cost involved. And then there's others that do this. And then Jesus says in verse 62, the crux of the matter, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And he was talking about choice there. Like it's not going to work unless your decision is solidly forward only okay and paul understood this concept he wrote about it in philippians 3:13, where when he said this this thing i focus on this one thing forgetting what is behind and looking forward to what is what lies ahead and then i was thinking about even the example of jesus himself like he was always moving forward he was always on a mission And even his death and his resurrection, which it's kind of taught to us this way. And to us, we think of it as the culmination of his time on earth and this big conclusion that had these epic results of overcoming the enemy. And it was those things. But realize for Jesus, it wasn't a culmination so much as it was a springboard forward for us. It wasn't just an end to his life, but it was the beginning of something new. And he was so excited about that thing beginning, and he spoke about it, and he was you know, getting ready to go to his final place with the Father, to the right hand of the Father, and he was saying to them, the next thing is something even better. It's really good if I leave, because the next thing coming is going to be even better, which was the giving of the Holy Spirit. And he was very excited about finishing that part up so the next part could start. And in all these examples, we realize that the Lord, he needs us to understand his purposes and plans so well that we long for them. So much that it creates this deep desire in us. And it can be like you can describe it as a passion or a zeal or whatever you want to call it. But it it has to be that thing that will carry us only forward like forever. And the best example of this is Joseph. And we're going to look at some of this. Again, the story of Joseph goes on for chapters and chapters. So I'm going to kind of summarize, but if you want to read through it this week, and I encourage you 
The story of Joseph starts in Genesis 37. So when Joseph uh, appears in the Bible, he is 17 years old. And he is the favorite of his father Jacob, and he has 10 other half-brothers. And there was this contentious relationship between Joseph and the brothers because uh, Joseph was ratting them out about some things that they're not doing correctly. And, and they feel like Jacob, their father, is showing Joseph this preferential treatment. And then Joseph has these dreams about someday how the family are all going to be bowing down to him in reverence. And that was the last straw. They decide to sell him into slavery. And Joseph is sold to someone in a high position in Egypt, and he prospers there. He does, he does well there. The Lord's favor is still on him until the day he's falsely accused of something he doesn't do, and then he gets thrown into prison. And then so that for him, this, this enslavement period is very up and down. He's enslaved, but then he's prosperous, and he runs everything, and then he's falsely accused, then he's thrown into a worse place. And even there he finds a place, he finds a way to prosper. And it literally says the Lord put his favor on Joseph and made him a favorite of the prison warden. So, and we know in both places, because we get these little little glimpses, that Joseph had a high regard for convictions and a high regard for excellence. And he didn't compromise on what he knew was right. So things are looking up again, kind of, because he's making the best of a bad situation, And then these two men that are also in prison with him have dreams. And exactly what Joseph Joseph interprets the dreams and exactly what he says comes true. And Joseph has has this hopeful moment. And he says to the one who lived, please, when you get back to your position with Pharaoh, remember me. Because I've been wrongly here this whole time and I shouldn't even be in this prison. And, And then two more years goes by because he's forgotten and they don't remember him and we read that in the bible and it's a it's a sentence that that we just kind of read and skip over and two more years went by you know but really like after a long 11 years and you have hope and then two more years goes by and you have this disappointment thinking that you're going to be maybe have a way out but being totally forgotten Long-term endurance is hard. And, and when we're in a place of disappointment after disappointment, there's, there's only one way of coming out of that or through that in a good place, and that is to constantly surrender the disappointment to the Lord. And one day for him, everything changed. And I do want us to read together this one passage, and it's Psalm 105. You can turn with me there. Psalm 105, starting in verse 16. And in the context of this is the psalmist is speaking of the amazing things that the Lord has done for the nation of Israel. And it's just these few verses, but it says, He called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. And then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord 
tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. He became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisors. So in one day, he's catapulted in two hours from prison to second in command of all of Egypt, and that all of that enslavement period took 13 years. And though it's not really explained in the Bible, you will not convince me that he wasn't so instantly hit with overwhelm at what he was being asked to do, yet he was so tired of prison life and enslavement that he was determined to live out exactly what God had called him to do. And there's one more aspect about Joseph I want to point out, only for the purpose of showing another, this is another point of Joseph's preparation. And um, I'll, just, I'll just read this. This is Genesis 43:32. Okay, now the context is Joseph has now been in this position for 10 years. Okay, we've skipped ahead 10 years. There's been seven years of famine. Now we're in the middle of seven years of, I'm sorry, that was wrong, seven years of of high crop yield and plenty. And then now we're in the seven years of famine and his brothers appear in Egypt because now everyone is very desperate for food. But Joseph had not yet revealed to them who he was. He saw them, he knew who they were, but they not recognize him because, you know, granted it's been now 23 years And he was kind of playing this game with them, okay? I mean, it's a serious game. But he was playing a game with them. And that's where this verse in the story, it says, The waiters served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despise Hebrews and refuse to eat with them. I mean, this is crazy to me. Joseph is basically saving their lives with these plans from the Lord and he's feeding everyone and he's keeping alive an entire nation and actually prospering Egypt greatly because by this time people are so desperate for for food they are selling their land to the government so Egypt is just prospering right yet he isn't even Egyptian and everyone that Joseph is literally now in charge of 10 years later, despise him so much they won't even sit at his table. And it's just another indication that he was really somewhat opposed all of his life. And yet what he accomplished was so important to the Lord. All right, we're going to demonstrate something. I was in Cabela's a few weeks ago with Jeff, and um, he went to look for something. And I, I was wandering around. Cabela's. Now, I don't hunt or camp, so this is not really my kind of store. But I've, I found myself, okay, wait, don't take it out yet. Just hold on. <laughs> I found myself, like, in front of this display, and I guess just got kind of mesmerized. Do you know how when the Holy Spirit kind of takes you into a zone? And I'm just mesmerized by this display of slingshots. And the Lord was like, you should buy one. And I was like, I, I didn't. I didn't do it. Because I was logically reasoning out of my head, like, what am I going to do with the slingshot? 
And then a couple of days later, you know, the Lord was giving me this message. And I was like, okay, Lord, I get what you're saying. So I had to go back to Cabela's and get a slingshot. Okay, you can get out now. <laughs> All right, we know how slingshots work. We're not going to shoot anything. I didn't bring any rocks or any ammunition. Uh, decided not to do that. But um, he's going to demonstrate for me. Okay, and so this is what the Lord was saying to me. He was saying it's like Newton's third law of motion, which states for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Okay, and when the pulling back of the slingshot happens, okay, yeah, well, you get it. The, for, the more force it generates, okay? And in the, in the pulling back, there is stored energy that must have a counter effect, right? And so the physical principle happens in the spirit too. Um, in the kingdom, the greater our faith and testing and surrender process happens, the greater our decisions of faith become this stored energy, okay? So we're going to pretend like Jeff is the Lord, Okay, and okay, and all right, we are the ammunition. Okay, supposed to be right here. Just use your imagination. All right, so this is what happens. We we have a starting point, and this is what is happening here to many of us. Okay, the Lord gives a promise, and then faith is needed. Okay, you're just gonna start pushing. We didn't practice this before we got. Um, faith is needed. And then, oh, things are looking worse now and more faith is needed. Things are looking more opposite of what God said, right? And choice gets formed within us. Okay. And then warfare intensifies. And now you're just believing crazy things just because the Lord said, and faith choice within us gets stronger. Okay. Now suddenly you are falsely accused of something that is not your fault at all, and you have to deal with that, and choice of faith is needed, and you have to learn how to surrender that by laying down your rights, right, whatever rights we are perceived to have. Okay, now go back to the beginning part. All right, at this point, you can quit. You can just say it's too hard. I'm done. I I can't do it, Lord. And you might have a little bit of relief. You might... um, you might have a little bit of comfortability then, but you've aborted, you've aborted the process. You've said no to your calling. You've said no to your launch. You're never going to be able to live in what the Lord really has you on this earth for. Okay, but okay, now pull it as tight. Okay, so you're pressed at your tightest. You have to hold it for a minute. And you think you can't take anymore pain or grief or surrender and then the lord says you've done amazing and i see that you're at the very end of yourself and you can't you know it's just taking all your strength to hold on by the hour now i want you to hold this for two more years okay this is what happened and is happening okay you can let it go okay thanks you're good you get the idea And in that process, we feel like we're moving backwards. But are we really? Because the more force of the backwards motion, the more powerful the release at some point, the more energy you're storing. Okay? 
And when we're really, really willing to allow God to develop our faith this way and, and refine us this way, we endure this process. And it can, it can look cruel. And I have, um, I have a pretty open, honest relationship with the Lord. I just used to tell him, Lord, this feels cruel. And it's kind of like this horse, you know, with a dangling carrot out here, and the carrot keeps getting moved, but you never feel like you can get there. And it's this feeling of hope being deferred. And, but even in that place, even in that place you have a choice. Because to choose against the lie and believe without being moved that God is good This is part of the narrow road that very few find. Because it's hard to believe in abundance when you're experiencing only lack, right? It's hard to believe in healing when everything you see around you is just sickness and disease and pain. And it's hard to believe in the possibility of resurrection when all you see around you is death happening. And it's hard to believe when the Lord promises you that major joy is coming when all you are living through is constant grief. And we look at Joseph's life and we see the significance of saving an entire nation. And many of us would want our lives to have that kind of significance without the previous 13 years of pain and testing and grief and false accusation and, and that, those hard choices of faith. But if we have to be that refined to have that much significance, I mean, every person makes their own choice in this, but I say for myself, let the refining continue. I, I want to let the endurance have its perfect work until we are complete and perfect and we need nothing. Everything the enemy has ever done Everything he's ever thought of and planned actually works against him. And this has to be our conviction. I mean, honestly, it's got to be a bummer for Satan. I mean, think about this for a moment. Can you imagine the moment he realized that his inciting of the demonic forces in Jerusalem that killed Jesus actually sealed his own fate permanently? Like... God uses Satan's own actions like a pawn to destroy his hold on humanity forever. That's what he did at the cross. And it wasn't, I mean, I don't think Satan is that smart because it wasn't even the first time something like that had happened. If you read the book of Esther, everything was bent against the Jewish people. And yet the restoration and the redemption just in that one book. His own actions make it worse for him every time. And there's nothing he can do to win. And the same thing is happening right now because it's always happening. We even see another example. We see this with with what happened with Peter. Okay, Jesus was trying to prepare Peter. And he said to him, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have repented and turned to me again, go strengthen your brothers. And, and we know Jesus denied, I mean, Peter denied knowing Jesus just like he said he would, and he cried over it. 
and he had regrets. But those regrets and that resolve of faith he found to trust again were actually what launched him forward into even more faith. And in Luke 24, when this, this is when the women had seen the empty tomb of Jesus, and he hears that the women saw, uh, saw Jesus actually, he was the one who ran to the tomb. It literally says, nobody really believed what the women were saying. But Peter jumped up and ran. Why? Because there had been failure and there had been choice and, and there was this propulsion. He's the one that had to know. He had to know if he could be made whole again. He had to know it because his heart needed the redemption. And, and so who was it 50 days later who stood up on the day of Pentecost who was ready and who was able to articulate to the crowd what was really going on. It was Peter. And I want to articulate what we've been in this process for, like why, why the refinement has been so difficult and so long. Because I'm not really sure it's completely understood. And we've talked about this before, but I, I feel like overall the church has not recognized the scope of what Jesus really did for us. And it's not that anyone has been meaning for this to happen, but his blood has been severely cheapened. See, Jesus paved the way to be an example. His life, as described in the Gospels, was meant to be an example for us to follow. And I don't mean only his kindness or the fact that he was a good person or his his love and his surrendered life, all of those things are true and they're all very important. But what I, what I mean is his time of preparation and then his launch into ministry. See, most people look at the life of Jesus and they just assume that it's this unattainable lifestyle and it's like, well, Jesus, you know, Jesus was God and I'm not God, so I can't do these things that he did. But he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And he became as a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He limited his Godness to come to earth and pave a way to demonstrate to us a path. And so for us to assume his life is something that man could never attain to is very sad to me. And we've never yet seen something that looks like the kind of power that Jesus carried on the earth. And, and certainly we've never seen the greater works he said are possible. But I'm, I'm going to say something here I probably might get blasted for. His very purpose in coming to earth was, yes, to die for us in place of us on the cross. But it's much more than that. He came to demonstrate and start a launching point from which we could learn from and go even farther. In other words, Jesus meant for his life to be the baseline of what man could do by carrying the Holy Spirit. It was meant to be the starting point. And the Lord is saying to us, my spirit flowing through you was never meant to be less than my spirit flowing through me. And I'm, I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, what if the whole picture of Joseph and his life, the whole reason God put that story in the Bible, was to demonstrate what was to come? 
that people could rise up and engage in a long-term faith warfare, even testing process where nothing seemingly good was happening until the day that it was. And when that day came, it would be a catapult greater than we think. And I'm saying what if, but I'm really saying as, that long before Jesus even came to the earth, the life of Joseph was demonstrating a process that we would be living through right now. Like what if the years of warfare and learning and process of faith has all been so that when launch day actually happens, we immediately begin where Jesus left off. Jesus' last miracle before he went to the cross was the raising of Lazarus. And if that was his final thing he did before going to the cross, and he wants us to do what he did and even greater, where does that leave us? I think we've been thinking way too small. We've been aiming for a low bar in Christianity just to pray for healing and hope that God wants to heal when Jesus is saying, what? I settled this with my life. Of course I want to heal. You are supposed to pick up where I left off, not think of my life as this impossible existence. And to some, I'm sure I would sound crazy, but this is exactly what the Lord has been saying to me for years. It's kind of like um, Michael Michael was, and he's been talking about this a little bit, but he was telling this story about McCurdy and how he met this missionary who was there for over 30 years, and he had a difficult time acquiring land. But the Lord has already provided these different parcels of land to us in Nigeria, and and he was, he was telling us, just articulating for us that nothing has really been normal since Ignition first set foot in Nigeria. It's not normal for people in another country to be given such immediate relationship with the governing leadership of a place. I mean, I've lived in Maryland and Delaware all my life. I've never met the governors. I mean, maybe some of you have, but I haven't. And... And so his point was that when the norm that has been set is already higher than what has been achieved before, there's only outlandish possibilities from here on out. Like the bar is already set really high for the Lord to begin in a place that no one's been able to begin before. And I struggle a little bit with saying this because there's many things we've talked about for a long time that we don't see yet. But we never were going to see it until we believed first. And, you know, I, I get it. Like, people could look at my life and say, you know, why would I want to follow anything you say? Because your words don't even match what's going on in your life. And we've been criticized as a church for this before. It's like, you guys talk about faith and you talk about walking in authority, but there's not really seen observable favor or power. And, and you might be right. But a person could have looked at Joseph's life and mocked it for 13 years, not really seeing what God was doing. And people in Nazareth who grew up in a town that Jesus grew up when, grew up in, I mean, we know from the Bible and from the way that they scoffed 
and did not believe in him, that they couldn't either see what the Lord was really doing. It's all about the process before the launch into heavy responsibility. So from God's perspective, if he delights in the launching of his children forward into their calling and their purpose, and it's all dependent on the pulling back process of faith, now you know why you feel the way you do. Like, there's important stuff happening here, and it's really the most important, actually. And, and we, we look at it differently sometimes, and we think, oh, if I, could just, oh, if I could just get through this and get to the launch part, then there'll be some finally relief, and things will be better, and I'll finally be able to live what the Lord is calling me to do. And I used to feel that way, too. And then one day, the Lord said to me this thing that was pretty profound. He said... No matter what comes in the future, I will never be more proud of you than I am right now. This is the process of faith building that matters to me. This is the most important work of your whole life. And everything that is coming depends on this. This process means more to me than anything you will ever do in my name in the future. Phew, I tell you, when he told me that, I... It changed me fundamentally. I, it caused me to stop focusing on the destination and, like, trying to get someplace. And it, it caused me now to, to soak up as much of this really difficult process I could and offer him the greatest amount of faith that I could. If whatever we're called to is dependent on this, this time that we're in, then I, I want to cooperate and I want to get it right. Do you think that the Lord was more pleased when Joseph was living out his calling to save an entire nation from starvation? Or do you think that the Lord was more pleased that Joseph didn't give up and instead endured the length of time and the extreme difficulty and the testing that went on day after day after day when it looked like there was no hope? I think that most of the time we measure accomplishment way different than the Lord does. We see in the Gospels three things that are needed, and this is very basic, but three things that are needed to do some of the things that Jesus did. And we know because these are kind of explained. The first one is authority. The second one is power. And we know these two because in Luke 9, he gave these to his disciples. Um, Luke 9, verse 1 and 2. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So power, authority, and then there's a third thing. And the third thing he can't give us, it's faith. He can give us power and he can give us authority, but faith is only something we can, we can do. And we know that the disciples did walk in some faith and some power and some authority, but there were things that occurred that were even outside of their range of faith because faith building takes time. And we know this because of the account of the man who brought his son to Jesus just desperate for help. 
and that's in Matthew 17. And he pleads with Jesus because the disciples had been unable to help him, and Jesus rebuked the demon and healed the boy. That's what it says. And later the disciples wanted to know, well, why couldn't we do that? And his answer was, you don't have enough faith. Or, like the ESV says, because your faith is little. See, power and authority are amazing gifts from the Lord, but they will only take you so far until you hit a ceiling of your own faith level. And there's only one way past the ceiling, and it's time to allow your faith to build and choice with the Lord. And with us here, it's different than the example of the disciples, but he's been building and building and building and building faith and teaching us about real spiritual authority. What we haven't really experienced yet is a manifestation of power. But see, power is an instantly and easily given thing the Lord can give us whenever he chooses. And who can be trusted with power? It's people who are not focused on power, but focused on wanting him above all things. And this is what happens in that pulling back process of the slingshot. It's this realization that he is the prize. We find him and and we kind of lose our taste for comfort or our taste for power. I mean, power or giftedness it's nothing to be compared to measured up, being measured up to his closeness. If I had to choose one, I'd choose being close to the Lord any day over, you know, power or giftedness. So inadvertently then, when we aren't looking for it, we become ready to handle power. Because he can trust us with it because it won't own us. And this same idea goes for other things too, like... When can the Lord trust us for trust us with financial abundance and financial, you know, windfalls or plenty and and possessions? Well, it's when we've gone through a hard process when we had nothing and we learned to trust him and we found out he is everything to the point where physical possessions and money become dead to us. And that's what puts us in a position to be able to handle properly money and possessions. And it's the same for other things. Uh, same for uh, fame or notoriety, right? can only be trusted to people who aren't really looking for it. Because to be known publicly won't own them. And if notoriety ever comes, it's really just for the purpose of making his name known. So if it's something that comes to us, then we'll reluctantly handle it. But it's for his sake. From reading the word of God and and in my own observation, just watching people, I see that the Lord builds faith in two different ways. And the first way I call is it's sort of more of a baby step way. It's when the Lord will ask us to take a step and we do and we do it in faith and then we see him work. And when we see that, it causes us to believe again, right? And so the same thing happens over and over and over in these small increments 
We, we take a step, we see it come to pass, and this is likely the way it happened for his disciples. But the second way the Lord builds faith is through a very long-term, hard choice, continuous perseverance where no result of faith is seen. No result. And this is what happened to Noah. And it happened to Abraham, and it happened to Joseph. And in each of these cases, years and years went by. Until what? Launch one day. For Noah, it started to rain. For Abraham, he was given a son with Sarah. And, and even for Jesus, even Jesus had the experience when, when one day he walks to the Jordan River and he's baptized by John the Baptist and launched into his ministry. And for Joseph, we know he's put into this high position. And think about it for a minute. Like the Lord's, what the Lord did with Joseph, it was really his ultimate vindication, right? I mean, Potiphar saw that happen. He was captain of the guard. Potiphar's wife would have seen that happen. Um, the, the baker, I think it's the baker who lived, <laughs> that he interpreted the dream for, now suddenly he's put into a position under Joseph. Butler, okay. I knew it was one of them. I always get them mixed up. Okay, but the Lord's vindication is worth waiting for. And, and we don't serve the Lord to receive vindication. We don't even need to be concerned about, about that. But Isaiah 54 does say that it is the heritage of the servants of the Lord that our vindication will come from him. So I'm... I'm going to wrap this up, but let me just ask a question, and I, I think it's probably only those of us here in Ignition who will really understand what I'm asking. If, if you had been given the choice years ago, if the Lord said to you, would you rather have endured a baby steps process with the Lord where you believe for a small thing, and then you see it happen, and then you take another step, and then another step, and you keep offering increments of faith, and then a small return for that faith. Or would you rather, if the Lord spoke, spoke this specifically to you and told you something as amazing as Jesus has already said in his word, which is, you will do the works I have done and even greater, but it's going to require a long-term surrender, deep <laughs> painful, paradigm-shifting process until the day I launch you into that? Which one would you choose? The easier way of building faith, but only to affect small areas? Or the much harder process to be released to affect an entire nation or the world? And he needs us to be sure of this decision And I just want to close, I want to close with something that the Lord gave me. He gave me this word, and this was three years ago on October 4th of 2018. And it really pretty much sums up everything I've said today. But this is what he said. He said, the battle is so fierce because you will do things in my power that have never been seen before. The devil fears this. What you will do in my power will be what causes shock to the church and what forces them to choose a side. 
for me or against me. I needed ones who would lay down every shred of personal agenda and future plans, ones who learn to live only by my voice and not a planned calendar or what society dictates are acceptable ways to spend time. Ones who were willing to hear my voice and move instead of making their own plans and then checking with me to see if I approve. You have learned that whatever comes, that when my glory works through you, you are forever thoroughly convinced it's not yours. It's not yours to take credit for. It's not yours to get used to. It's not yours to even expect or manipulate. Because of that, the blessings will not take you out. And there will be tremendous longevity in your ability to carry me. All of these things needed to be deeply ingrained in your spirits and your minds before what comes next. I hope you guys believe that. This whole process has been about the deeply needed process before the launch. And I I believe the Lord's having me speak this today because I don't think the launch is that far out. And I don't know about you guys. I know we've, we've been through a lot as a church and a lot of warfare and a lot of difficult things, a lot of faith building, a lot of even grief. But I don't regret I don't regret it. We haven't even yet begun to see what the Lord is going to do. So, okay, I'm done. I'm going to ask Jeff to close us in prayer, and and I'm not sure if anyone has any announcements, but can give those after. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for truth. Thank you for truth. And I just praise you, God. uh, It is not easy in the middle of what you're teaching us. But man, is it going to be worth it. It's going to be so worth it. And I praise you for the building of faith. I praise you for peace and rest in the middle of chaos. Father, this world's in chaos right now. And we are at rest. We are at peace waiting, waiting patiently for you. And may we never step out of that. Satan is trying everything he can to allow us or to make us step out of rest. Your rest, what you offer, the peace that only you give that is unexplainable to even our family members that watch us and our friends. You've asked us to stand because it's going to be so worth it. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what we can trust you for. Thank you for what you teach us through your word. Thank you for what you teach us through worship, through songs through day-to-day activities, through testimonies, through stories that hurt to listen to them. Thank you for teaching us. And I know Jen already said it, but thank you for being the ultimate dad to all of us. We lift this day up to you, this beautiful week of Thanksgiving. We have so much to be grateful for, Lord. And I praise you for all of it. In your name, amen.